My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to stare at the sea, but then I remembered that I love my wife. Ross. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. It is also, for these two weeks only, a recap podcast about Poldark, a bad television show by PBS. Not the, not a not a recap of a good television show like Outlander. Like Burn Notice. Or oh, Burn yeah, Notice. Or Outlander. <laughs> yeah, because on Twitter you were talking about how we were going to talk about Outlander, and now you're talking about I know, but Poldark. then I... But here's the thing, and I think that this will be familiar to anyone who's listened to this podcast. It's a lot easier to talk about something you hate. That's true. Or we can't, we were also promised on Twitter that we were going to talk about something that we love or someone, aka Claire Savitz. Oh, yeah, we should talk about Gourmet Mix, but first we should probably finish the intro. Throughout this podcast, that's this is why really I don't well even so say far. the ABC. <laughs> you we don't need rating- it. Each episode of Burn Notice on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, Two. a great episode of television, <laughs> or L, a great episode of Burn Notice. Oh, uh, if you want to know what compli- if you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind unless it's about Poldark, then it's fine. (laughs) Send us an email at burnnoticed, with a D, burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. Also with a D because it is 2020. Exactly. Getting the D in in 2020. Just like Michael did last week. Oh, God. Very quickly, let's just say we we love Claire Saffitz. <laughs> Claire Saffitz is I, amazing. I love that show. Like, My favorite I became... episode was the Starburst episode because she was so upset and it got so chaotic at like the end with like all of them trying to do different things. And, like, make all the different flavors at once. Like, it was just... I like episodes where there's just utter chaos. There is. What I think is interesting about Gourmet Makes, as opposed to, like, other things that are like it, other reality shows or whatever, I also love how quickly it went from, like, kind of a YouTube show to just, like, produced like a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like, it's produced like it is a reality show, like you would watch on, like, television. And, like, it's, like, very specifically, like, you can see, like, the producers, like, giving them stuff to do. Like, the Mentos episode is really great because you can just see the producers being like, hey, do the Mentos and Coke thing. It'll be good footage. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, it's, it's, very, it's a very well-produced fucking show. It is. And, but what I think is interesting about it, as opposed to other shows like it, and even as opposed to the show when it started, is the extent to which they sit in Claire's bad emotions <laughs> or like her negative well, it's a emotions. reality show you, yeah you gotta you gotta really play up the drama yeah but i feel like even in other shows like this like because this is a very specific subset of reality tv sh- reality tv that's probably my favorite subset of reality tv which is a an expert has to do a thing that that using their expertise that is absurd <laughs> 
And yeah. and I feel like last week we were talking about Mythbusters, and I feel like that's a similar kind of thing where you're watching like fun, smart people do a stupid thing. And like yeah, I do I do enjoy that. That's a that's a very good like amalgamation of this genre, and I like it. And but I feel like on Mythbusters, sometimes you would see them get like a little annoyed or something. But like Gourmet makes really sits and lingers on Claire's frustration. I don't know how I feel about that, but it's very compelling to watch. It's super compelling to watch. Uh, but it always, you know, it's it's like a like a Jane Austen novel. It always ends with a marriage with yes. some level of success. Uh, so here's the thing about Gourmet Makes and Bon Appetit's YouTube channel in general is that my main takeaway... I just dropped something, even though you wouldn't have heard it on the radio show that we're doing, but whatever. Um, what's interesting to me because of like where I have worked is that Bon Appetit, I think, is the most successful traditional media company YouTube channel translation. Because I, I don't know if you guys know this, I worked at MTV for a while. And specifically, I worked at MTV as an associate producer um, which is a thing that some of the bon, bon Appetit people that you see in Claire's videos are uh, in their digital video department. And the way that we developed videos at MTV was fucking stupid. And we essentially never did it because even though we had like an entire team of like 50 people making YouTube and digital content for MTV, when I was there for nine months, I made exactly one video, pitched a bunch, developed a bunch, cast a bunch, only actually completed a single video. And what I think that Bon Appetit does that companies like MTV and other like traditional media companies that started in traditional television or in other print mediums and then tried to translate to YouTube, what I think Bon Appetit does well is that they it lets their host personalities be what they're cultivating and yes. allows the brand to get flexible based on its new format. Because the problem is that MTV wants to feel like MTV, but MTV hasn't felt like MTV in like 20 years. And the problem is they wouldn't ever allow like the cultivation of YouTube specific talent, which makes it hard to like grab on to anything that's happening on our YouTube channel, which is why every single video that we ever made that was even a little bit like socially conscious had a fleet of commenters that are like, what is this MTV bullshit social justice warriors? And it's like, because MTV had not defined a brand or at least allowed their YouTube channel to define a brand. It was just whatever MTV thought might be good with the kids on YouTube, but Bon Appetit, really smartly, really early on realized that yes, they are a food magazine that's like super, you know, well-established and it's like Condé Nast and it's all this sort of like fancy schmancy food stuff, but their YouTube channel doesn't have to be really buttoned up or too absurd. If they're just like, let's get talented on-screen people who know how to cook and just like let them play. And like yeah. we will develop around them rather than us mandating something based on our experience in a totally different medium of media. And I think that Claire Saffitz and Gourmet Makes is like one of the best amalgamations of that. That and uh, the episode, the three-part series that Brad and Claire did about making bagels, where the second episode, they don't make a single bagel. And the first like half hour of the episode is just Brad waiting for Claire to get there because she's late to the shoot and he's just vamping. And it's it does not it has nothing to do with food completely irrelevant to the actual series that they were making about making bagels and is one of the funniest performances i have ever seen that is so good i very yeah. much enjoy it. anyway go <laughs> watch those if you have podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, gourmet makes on YouTube or just really any video on uh, on the Bon Appetit YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now back to Burn Notice. Now that we've done <laughs> our like... Now that we've done our tight 10 on Claire Saffitz. <laughs> exactly. Like we promised on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so this episode of Burn Notice is called we're Seek and... today. It's called Seek and Destroy, and it aired on February 9th, 2009. Um, uh, February 5th. It says February 5th. In the, Did I say... In the oh, yeah. I, I can't read anymore. It was written um, by Rashad Razani and directed by Scott Peters, who goes on direct to direct a few episodes of Burn Notice, but I think has a much more interesting and spooky writing resume, having written episodes of Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Animorphs, Ghost Stories, Beyond Belief, and The Outer Limits. And then he also went on to co-create both the 4400 and the 2009 V reboot with Morena Baccarin. Which is all pretty good with a guy for a guy with an obviously fake name, <laughs> Scott Peters. Yeah, Scott Peters and Bill Johnson, assassin at large. <laughs> exactly. Like I, it makes me wish this episode was spookier. Yeah, it would like, be cool. I'd love like a horror episode of Burton at us. Yeah, and like he's clearly interested in like aliens and spooky things. Like I would just love that if Burton Ellis became X Files for an episode. Or even just Animorphs. <laughs> yeah, or even Animorphs. Like, can I just get one, like, Michael Weston turning into a dog? I bet he'd be, like, a greyhound. You think he'd be a greyhound? Well, yeah. I don't know if he'd be a greyhound. I feel like... It's, like, a little skittish and yeah. very strange looking. Like, almost like a dog, but not quite. True. You've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> the premise of this episode according to imdb is michael turns to a familiar arms dealer for help in tracking down the bomber and decides to help out a woman track down her dead artist father's stolen painting can i say That's this quite episode a number of modifiers to that noun i had so much trouble writing notes about this episode <laughs> like why like, because it's so, like, a lot of the stakes are so abstract. There's, it seems like a, there's a lot of exposition and, like, weird exposition. And just, we'll get into it once we get into the weeds. Which we're doing now, by the way. This is us going into the oh, weeds. Oh, this is the weeds? We're in them? We're Yeah, we're in the weeds. Look around you. There's weeds everywhere. <laughs> so we start at... You... Did you weeds. want us to... In the weeds. We start in the weeds, and Michael and Fee meet up with Seymour, and I'm very happy about this. And I actually, I read the, because I did read the IMDb description before I watched the episode, and I was thinking, it better be Seymour that they're going to, and it was, in fact, Seymour. And I was very happy about that. Suddenly, Seymour. Um, yes. Um... And they go I'm to also Seymour. extremely excited that Seymour is there. I did not read the IMDb description before watching this episode. And when Seymour came on screen, I was extremely excited. Yeah. They're going to Seymour to find out info on the bomber whose name they have. It's like Derek Poole or whatever. And Seymour is having the same party he was having last time. 
same set, same people. Although it's a, well, but it's a little bit less refined. Like it looks more like a combo of Seymour's last party and the other guy who was having a party in that last episode we saw Seymour in. Because there's like it's a little there's a little bit more color this time in like the types of bathing suits and stuff. Because like the last time Seymour's party was a little bit more kind of like laid back and like rich people refined, True. and the other party from that episode was kind of like boobs, butts, loud music, everything happening at once. And this definitely felt like a bigger party than last time yeah uh yeah maybe it feels like the same party if it went on for a while and everyone just got really casual um i should point out before they actually see seymour they do briefly talk a bit about how they did just fuck uh michael and fee um and it's awkward and like fee is really trying to play it casual I think the thing that they were, like, going for is that before Fee was obsessed and Michael was like, no. And now, like, Michael has to be puppy dog. And Fee's like, oh, whatever. It's just sex, you know? Like. She doesn't want to get hurt again. Exactly. Who does want to get hurt, though, is Seymour's bodyguard. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, Michael and Fee walk in and, like, Michael goes up to Seymour and then, like, Seymour just, like, calls on, like, his bodyguard to stop them, and then, like, Fee just immediately drops him because his bodyguard is so incompetent. <laughs> He's so it's a, thoroughly useless. Like, it really... They really flanderize this bodyguard a bit. Like, he is the butt of so many jokes in this episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed that they brought the guy back just to shit on him. Like, like, he gets, like, I don't even think he gets a line in either episode that he's in. He's just, like, the 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 voiceless muscle who's useless and who yeah. hangs out with Seymour. And Seymour is just constantly berating. I love it. Truly the cronk to Seymour's Yzma. <laughs> and so Michael explains that they're not going to hurt him again. They're not going to throw gunpowder in his face. Um, they just need some help. Uh, finding a bomber. And then suddenly Seymour is so happy to be friends again. He's like, yeah, we're going to be badasses. We're going to do stuff. I'm going to find this guy for you. But also I'm going to need some money. Um, and he's like, I know you're cool for it. You're cool for it. But I'm going to need some money. Which leads to a scene um, that I think was tailor-made for us. Wherein <laughs> Michael asks Fee for some money to give to Seymour. And then, C- and then Fee tells Michael to just get a job. <laughs> and, and Michael says, like, he can't get a job. And he says, like, I can get a job with, like, a W-2. It's like, if the people who burn me find out I'm looking for a job, they'll wonder why I need money. How about just to afford goods and services, Michael? It's like, I know you don't pay rent or do laundry, but surely you need to eat. Yogurt isn't free, Michael. You don't <laughs> need a reason to need money. Everyone needs money. We live in a capitalist society. It is lovely idea. But he knows that it's so much part of its brand. Like, but seriously, how are you affording anything? They never explain it, so I have no idea. But, like, but to get to the point of being, like, I couldn't get a job, why would they think I need money? What is going on? Um, 
But Fee ex explains that she does have a job, and it's not like a normal job that has a W-2. Actually, it probably, maybe it does have some, it has some sort of tax forms, though. I think it does have a W-2 because he has to, like, create a whole... Exactly, he does have to, yeah. Uh, it, probably not a yeah. W-2, but, yeah, like, some sort Yeah, like an I-9, of, maybe? Yeah. Because it's, he's freelancing? Exactly. Um, Fee has a gig from an art dealer. Uh, she says, someone's stealing paper clips or something. <laughs> um, and it's no big deal. And Michael, and she says, you can do it with under an alias so that you can fill out the tax forms, I guess. <laughs> so that no one knows that Michael Weston needs money. No uh, one must ever know. So Sam sets up a cover ID for Michael so that Michael could do this job without anyone knowing he needs money. And his cover ID is Miles Parker, which is just a combination of Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> although, like, although I will say, to get nerdy for a second, Miles Morales wasn't, won't be created for another two years. So it's not actually a Spider-Man reference. But it could be a jazz reference. Miles Morales is that new of a character? Yeah. 2011. I looked it up. Wow. Fucking dork. Yeah. I wanted to know if it was an actual Spider-Man reference. But no, I think if it's in anything, it's a jazz reference. Like Miles Davis and uh, Charlie Parker. So he's got this new identity, Miles Parker. And so Michael calls Fee to tell her that he can take the job now. And then also tries to set up dinner plans. And then Sam gets all weird about it. It's like, you having dinner now? Uh, yeah, just to talk about the wor like, work. Yeah, that's what he says. It's like, yeah, we just got to set up some plans. It's fine. But Sam is suspicious. So uh, Michael meets up with the client, whose name is Scott Chandler, which sounds just as fake as Miles Parker and Scott Peters. <laughs> and Scott Chandler just wants to know who's bugging his phone. He's an expensive art dealer, and someone bugged his phone. Wants to know why and who. Really, he wants to know who more than why, but they're connected. <laughs> So squares, rectangles, etc. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, like as Scott is giving him like a tour of the facility, Seymour calls with news. He's found the bombers hangout, which is also a Russian mob hangout because this guy works for the Russian mob sometimes. And he's found his girlfriend, who is a waitress at said mob hangout. Who loves fucking. Loves fucking. And Seymour takes them to this mob hangout to show them these people. Seymour also makes a point of talking about how hot the sex between Michael and Fee must be. And, which is the start of a lot of people commenting on that. I mean, this is, it's been a thing for a while. Um, but yeah, Michael maintains that they're not together. And Seymour's like, what? And then Seymour explains that, like, not only have has he found the bombers hang out and the bombers girlfriend, but he's taken it upon himself to set up a thing where his dumbass bodyguard is going to plant a tracker on the girlfriend's car. And it's happening right now. Seymour has brought Michael to watch this happen. <laughs> he's so proud of himself. And I Michael, do appreciate his initiative. Like for having to take this job at gunpoint, like he's taking to it with like really respectable amounts of enthusiasm. He is. Of course, Michael is immediately like, 
he's going to put a tracker on her car in directly in front of the Russian mob. And Seymour's like, what? Oh. And so Michael has to go and interrupt the fucking bodyguard guy. He does say some lines here, the bodyguard. I forget oh, what they yeah, were. Oh, yeah, you're right. It, it but he does matter. say some lines. He might as well not have spoken. And, um, and Michael pretends to be someone, like, whose wife slept with the bodyguard and starts beating the shit out of the bodyguard. So now both Fee and Michael have beat the shit out of the bodyguard. I'm very <laughs> sad that Sam and Madeline don't also beat the shit out of the bodyguard in this episode. Everyone should get a turn to beat the shit out of this big, dumb, blonde guy. <laughs> but he doesn't actually put the tracker on the car, and then it's all over. It's all for naught. But we now know that the bomber has a girlfriend. Who loves fucking. He That's loves impo- fucking. The fact that she loves fucking is important because it means that they have to have pause, relations pause, uh, at least twice a week. So they know that it's going to be a pretty sure bet that they can follow her to him. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, because they're constantly fucking. Sam and Michael discuss how the spy got into Chandler's office. Um, And they figure that the spy snuck in while it was being cleaned. Um, But while they're having this conversation, it turns out Fee is also there. (laughs) And Fee is just laying on the bed, just like, bored now. <laughs> and demands it's like a to pan know. over reveal. Like they, like we have a conversation between Sam and Michael at like the in like the kitchen area of the warehouse that he lives in, and then all of a sudden you hear like a, <sighs> and then the camera pans over to Fee, who is also there. It's actually a very good comedy reveal, and I enjoyed it a lot. It is. It's very good. There's some good like camera stuff in this scene because Fee demands to know why she's here because she doesn't need to be here and michael is like very awkwardly like well no i wanted to get you involved you know you have insights i like your insights and it's very awkward and sam knows that it's awkward so he excuses himself to the balcony while the two of them have a conversation and (laughs) and michael and fee talk about like whether or not Michael is upset that Fee left before breakfast. But, and it's just, it's whatever. But all the while during this conversation, like, they've placed, in Michael's coverage, they have Sam over his shoulder out of focus. And so, like, (laughs) Sam is in the shot. Like, he's on the balcony, but he's in the shot. And every once in a while, he just kind of, like, turns around and, like, looks back like he's, like, listening, kind of, but not really. He's sitting there in the frame over Michael's shoulder like an angel. (laughs) And it's genuinely very good. It's so funny. It's like, it's a, like, really well done, really subtle prop, like, not prop gag, like, camera gag. And I exactly. There's a lot of, like, good little camera gags in this scene. Not, like, flashy, but just really smart. And I love it. So, Michael goes back to Chandler's office and sweeps it for bugs. And he finds, um, in addition to the one bug that we already knew was there, a wireless key logger. And he decides that the best thing to do 
is to break it. Or, like, because then the person, whoever put it there, is going to have to come back and fix it. And then he can, like, hide in the dark and surprise him. And that's exactly what happens. He hides in the dark, and then someone comes in, and this someone is Melanie, who is the receptionist. We did meet her briefly in an earlier scene. Yeah. Uh, honest to God, what, like, when I was writing my notes, the first time we met her, I assumed she wasn't important. Well, that's and, that's the trick, huh? Uh-huh, yes. Um, and he catches Melanie in the act of trying to repair it. Uh, she gets very awkward very quickly and then tries to escape very badly. Because it's almost half-heartedly. Half-heartedly. Because the thing about Melanie, I don't dislike this actress. She's not a bad actress. She's good at what she's doing. And, like, I think the casting of Melanie is very smart because I looked at a Melanie and immediately thought, she's not the bad guy. <laughs> she's, like, too, like, pretty and, like, slightly incompetent in a way that, like, Michael can, like, feel all manly about. I'm like, this is the client. Like, because that's the thing, is that, like, she is clearly the client type, and Chandler is clearly the villain type. Yeah. So when it turns out that, like, she is going to be the person who is the client now, like, that totally tracks. Because it turns out that she's not, like, a rival spy or, like... I keep saying spy because they keep talking about this person like they're a spy. but Well, because it's like a art... bit Michael is doing. Exactly. It's a bit that Michael's doing that there's a spy in the midst or whatever. But, like, this guy's just an art dealer. Mm-hmm. He's well, just like an art dealer. Like a high-class art dealer. But, like, a high-class, like, a classy, real classy art dealer. But, yeah. Um, but she's not, like, an actual spy. Uh, but instead, Chandler killed her father. And it's so wild. It really did just kind of throw me. I was like, oh, okay. And again, I have nothing against the actress. I think she's doing fine. But the way she delivers it, it's like, it's just so out of left field. And I think this is the point in my note taking where I had like, I was trying to figure out the most concise way to explain this situation. But it's it's pretty complex. This is a chock full episode. Yeah. So I like and I will say this now. I did copy and paste this explanation from the burn notice wiki. <laughs> okay, lay it on me. All right. So here's what happened. Uh, Melanie explains that her dad was a famous painter named JD Blake. While her dad's health was failing, Chandler was pressuring him to finish his final painting, Lady in White. Blake grew tired of the pressure and said he was going to get a new dealer. Soon after, he was beaten up and his studio burned down. With Lady in White, huh? I don't remember. Was he inside the studio when it burned down? Is that how he died, or did he just die from the beating? This is important to my understanding of this episode. I I, I think it was like both. Kind of overkill. Yeah. But okay. He was beaten up and his studio was burned down. Lady in White was reported stolen. Melanie got a job with Chandler when she heard the painting was being moved on the black market. 
Wait, hang on. That's not true. The 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 lady in white was not reported stolen. It was reported destroyed. So Wiki got this wrong because I remember this. It was presumed to be destroyed along with the rest of the stuff in his warehouse. But then and, Melanie oh, heard because oh, Melanie's really plugged in in the black market. That's how she got yes. her keylogger. And she just like was chilling, trying to buy some like Silk Road weed when she happened to see a mention from her dead father's painting. Christ. But yeah, <laughs> so that is continue. Yeah, so the wiki was but that wrong, is but... that is what happened. Well, good. Then I'm glad that I pointed out that I stole it from the wiki. So of course Michael can't stitch on her now. She's a nice white lady. He's a nice white lady, and he does hate having a job. So she hates it so much. He's he's gonna go to the less reputable job that he's not actually being paid for. Yeah. But the thing is, he's already told Chandler that he's going to check the security camera, and she's going to be on the security camera because she is incompetent. <laughs> but she's plugged in enough to the black market to just casually hear that her father's painting is trying to be moved, and also has access to a keylogger and the expertise to install it. Exactly. In addition to the other bug that she placed on the phone. And so he decides that he's going to help her presuming that her story checks out. And she seems kind of confused, like, my story checks out? And, like, they kind of, like, almost... They don't really play it, but, like, there's this, like, question of, is this really true? Which seems scene, unnecessary, because you're totally right, because uh, she does not seem like a villain. We're no, like, she does oh, not. okay, so this is the real story, but Michael's like, mm, I don't know, well, I gotta check this out. And then in the very next shot, Sam's like, it's all true. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've sorted that out. Yeah. I guess they, like, the writers thought, like, well, what if she's lying? That's actually, like, probably a good thing to consider. Because, like, you know, spies lie and people lie all the time. And, but, like, we didn't need that beat. It just, yeah. it seems like a weird waste of time. So Michael builds a magnet to wipe the security tapes with. And so he he builds this magnet and he puts it in a suitcase. And then he shows up back at Chandler's, like, art business to look at the security footage as a very fancy art, as a very fancy security person that happens to have a backpack. <laughs> and he just, like, puts it down next to the computer and has, like, the security, like... The security guard pull up all the footage, and then, of course, it's all gone. The guy's just like, I don't know. It's all gone. And and then, like, Michael gets pissed. Like, why is it all gone? There's a lot – a lot of this episode is just Michael causing problems in his own investigation and then getting mad at other people for things going wrong. Michael's basically <laughs> gaslighting all of these people. Yeah, which I do enjoy. But, like, my favorite part of him gaslighting all these people is, like, him, his little asides where he just describes his own life and, and like, what's happening as, like, yeah. but that would be crazy. Yes. Oh, uh, it, it builds up to a real epic one later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll let you get to that on your own. Yeah. And since he says, and, and so Michael acts pissed that, like, the security footage has been uh, erased. So he's like, oh, well, because of this. You need to give me all your files. Clearly, this guy is really good. Like, 
he erased the security footage somehow. Only a really smart, handsome spy could do that. And so Chandler gives him all of his, all of his files, I guess. And and Sam goes through all the files and then finds info on a guy named Jacob Orr, who almost definitely killed Melanie's dad. He might as well have been in a file on Chandler's computer that said, dudes who killed Melanie's dad. <laughs> so Sam a- and so Sam tells him this, and then Sam also asks, what's going on with you and Fee? It feels weird. I had to stand on the balcony and it was awkward. And then he realizes that Michael and Fee definitely banged, and he is annoyed about it. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he didn't pick up on it, like, when Michael was like, hey, do you want to grab dinner or something? Like, come on, Sam. Your, your yeah. sex skills must be rusty. Sam is kind of, like, I get it, but Sam is also just kind of annoying in this episode. A little bit. Yeah, it's been a weird couple of episodes for Sam. Yeah, like, they don't know what to do with Sam while they're also doing Michael and Fee plot. Well, because usually Sam and Michael have some, like, bro time to, like, decompress and, like, Sam can give him advice on Fee. But Michael is trying to pretend like he doesn't need it and that nothing is going on. So, like, Sam's usual role in the Michael-Fiona love story is not, like, working. Yeah. It also kind of almost feels like a reversion to, like, that early season one burn notice where Sam doesn't like Fee. Like, yeah, well, no, it was never that Sam didn't like Fee. It was that Fee didn't like Sam. And Sam well, was kind of, like, ambivalent towards Fee. Yeah, but that same kind of vibe again where, like, and I get why Sam might be worried about them, like, starting up again because, like, it seems like it doesn't work. And, like, I get that. But, like, it really just feels more like, oh, why? She's a girl. We have bro times. We drink beer and eat yogurt like men. Why you gotta, like, why you gotta mess it up? <laughs> Last week we were eating pickles together out of a jar. And now I feel so far away from you. Uh, and so... But then Sam and Fee together have to go to track down Jacob or the assassin guy in a hotel bar, obviously. And we're, and Fee is planning to plant a bug in, like, his phone. And then so they're, like, stalking this guy and Sam and Fee are talking. And then, yeah, Sam is just being kind of shitty because of this whole thing, like, I guess he's mad that they're, like, like having sex or whatever, or had sex once, and, like, he's just kind of shitty about it. Um, And then Fee goes and, like, flirts with this, like, Jacob Orr, who has kind of a vaguely biker aesthetic. He has the aesthetic of a guy who owns a pawn shop. Yeah. And so it's very awkward watching Fee flirt with him. I mean, it's, you know, whatever is your thing. I'm sure there's people who like pawn shop guys. There's guy there's there's yeah, people who like make little pawn shop guys. Exactly. There's people who like watch pawn stars with a sort of unrequited lust. But like and so Fee's plan is to take to go up to Jacob's room and then like knock him out with sedatives and then plant a bug on 
his phone, which seems like a bad idea. Yeah. At, I mean, this happens uh, This happens a lot in Burn Notice where Fiona's like, oh, I got this. I'll do it on my own. And it's just like her and a man who is larger than her. And everyone's always like, uh... And she's like, no, it's going to be fine. And it always is, but barely. Yeah. And, yeah, so, like, that's the thing. Is that, like, she goes upstairs with him and, like, she, like, slips him a Mickey or whatever. And then, like, but he doesn't drink the drink. And then she's like, oh... I don't know what to do. I guess I better, like, attack him with liquor bottles. <laughs> and so she attacks him with multiple liquor bottles. Like, she hits him with one of them, and he's, like, kind of fine. They start getting into a fight, and then, like, and so Sam, who kind of followed them up just to, like, be back up, like, hears, like, a scuffle starting. And so he tries to start breaking in. He wants to break in. And, and then, like, so he, like, slams into the door, but the door doesn't, like, break down. And now Jacob, Jacob Bohr is like, oh, you got another guy, too? What's going on? And Fee, like, finally knocks him out and steals his wallet to make it look like it was just a robbery. And But the whole time, Sam is just trying to break this door down and is failing. And it is kind of funny. <laughs> that is very funny. Here's the thing that struck me about this scene uh, that I feel like Fiona should have known better about is that as she's pouring in like a full second and a half of like poison or whatever to his drink to like knock him out, she's not pouring any liquor, but she is clearly pouring something into his drink with her back turned as he just stares at her. And I feel like she should be, she should have like uncorked the thing and then poured the drink and the poison at the same time because otherwise she's just obviously staring like, like pouring something into his drink. She's just standing with her back to him, very obviously making a pouring motion with a thing that is not a liquor bottle. Yeah. It was just tremendously unsubtle, and I was upset that it worked. Are you so... I just want to say really quickly, are you also kind of seeing what I mean about, like, the plot of this episode? It's very, like... I just felt like... It's very difficult to summarize. (laughs) Yeah, it it was because like each scene and I had that in my episode last week, too, where it like just so much is happening in each scene. It's hard to tell like what's worth because like there there are very few wasted scenes in the way that normally during notice waste scenes like there's usually like now this is the obligatory. They update the client scene and the client is upset. And now this is the scene where we remember that Nate exists and it sucks. And, you know, like there there isn't that kind of a scene, which is good in that it means that something is interesting um, in every like portion of the episode. But you're right. It does make it hard to recap concisely. I will say, I debate whether or not it means things, the things that are happening are interesting. It just means that there are a lot of things that are happening. And I will say, the next scene is a useless scene. Well, but there's fewer useless scenes than we're used to. These this, writers are really trying to do something each scene. They're yeah. trying to make it worth our time to watch. Whether they yeah. succeeded is another thing entirely. But please continue, by all yeah. means. So, yeah, the next scene is a very weird scene wherein, like, Melanie storms into Michael's apartment, but Michael's not home. Just Sam is home. 
And by home, I mean Michael's apartment, because Michael's apartment is home to everyone. <laughs> like the Olive Garden, when you're there, you're family. Melanie comes in and just says Chandler is getting really paranoid and is having the security ca- camera hard drive, like, reconstructed. And she's really worried because she's going to be on that footage. Sam explained that that's fine. That's going to take a couple of days. And we're going to wrap this up really soon. And then he plays her, like, the audio from the bug on Jacob Orr's phone where Orr tells Chandler that he thinks that Fee and Sam were actually spies. (laughs) And then they also, they also immediately talk about incriminating stuff. Yep. Where they talk about, like, a company that they set up to fence the painting or whatever. And it's all just, like, plot. It's just, like, here's a bunch of plot stuff. And, like, it's weird that it's Sam and Melanie. It it feels like Michael should have been in this scene, but, like, Jeffrey Donovan was busy. (laughs) He had something better to be doing. Exactly. And so it just, yeah, the scene has, like, a weird energy, especially since, like, Sam in this episode and the last couple episodes has felt a bit sidelined. Like, so it almost has this like feeling of like, Hey, these aren't the characters that the story is about just, and we're just here like watching them talk. And I don't know. I felt, it felt weird watching it. Like, I don't know. And it was just a kind of like, Hey, Exposition, exposition. And then Sam goes, it's okay. Exposition, exposition. Listen to this phone call. Exposition, exposition. Yeah, Um, it it is. But, like, more is happening in this scene than is usually happening in this type of scene is all I'm saying. I mean, that's true. So, Michael then shows up at Chandler's again. uh, Still very angry. He's always angry talking to Chandler. Um, saying that a man and a woman broke into his house and he demands to know any and all of Chandler's, like, darkest secrets. Because, like, (laughs) now... Like, now people are breaking into his house, his being Michael's, like, and Michael being this, like, character of Miles Parker. Something that's funny about this interaction in particular and, like, the rest of them for the rest of this episode is that usually when Michael does this little ploy with, a ga- with like, you know, his mark of the week, um, it, it doesn't seem so crazy because Michael has done the approach and, like, has, like, gotten himself hired. But, like, in this situation, he is an employee with, like, a resume of this guy. And he comes in awful hot to his new boss is all yeah. I'm saying. Like, like the dynamic done... is definitely different, but he treats it as if it is not. And I don't know. It just, it was a little bit strange to me, the way that he was acting, being well, a contractor who was hired for a very specific job. I mean, I think he's done a decent job of selling, like, that this guy, know, like, this person that he is knows his shit. And also Chandler is, like, an idiot. An actual, Chandler seems very impressed by, like, Michael. By Miles Parker. Like... <laughs> Like, the first time they meet, like, Michael immediately explains that there was a bug in his phone. He was like, there was a bug in my phone. You know spy stuff. And Michael's like, yeah, I do know spy stuff. I used to be a spy. Wait, no. Yeah. um, But yeah, so now, yeah, so now the plan is to pretend that, like, 
that thing that happened with Jacob was on purpose. <laughs> and that now there are people, like, banging down Miles Parker's door. And so, yeah, Michael needs to know all of Chandler's secrets. But Chandler still does not give up the fact that he stole a painting and kill a man. Killed a man. Um, so instead, Michael demands access to all of Chandler's, like, security camera feeds because Michael is going to have to break into, like, Chandler's office and find all the dirt himself. And this is the scene, I believe, where we get Michael really tipping his hand, saying some spy gets a, some spy gets blacklisted, goes freelance. He could be standing right in front of you right now and you wouldn't even know it. Michael, because this is, again, one of those situations where he's just doing that for himself. Like, that doesn't help. It's important to find moments to, like, insert your own story into your work, Chris. It's important to personalize it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fun to see Michael doing things that are clearly just fun for him. Like, like Jackson from a few episodes ago didn't need an inhaler, but he has an inhaler. <laughs> That's true. It's, it is fun to, like, watch Michael, like, take a moment for himself. It's, like, almost like self-care, you know? And yeah. I like seeing that. I love that. Michael in this episode is like Hannibal on Hannibal. Where he's <laughs> just like, where he's just like, you know, someone could eat people. I, I sure do love the way that... People tastes, lol. <laughs> that exact same thing. Yeah, it, it so, definitely has Hannibal energy. Yeah. So they have access to, like, the live security feeds now. So Sam watches the live security feeds while Michael breaks in. And, like, Sam has to, like, direct Michael how to avoid all the, like, the cameras so he doesn't get seen on camera. And that is effective. And he gets, and Michael breaks into Chandler's office and finds his secret crime filing cabinet where all the top secret crime documents are kept. Um, But the thing is, he can't break into it because it's super duper locked. And they can't blow it up because that'll destroy the documents. And so they need a special drill. And that's going to take a couple of days to get. (laughs) Well, there's no such thing as Amazon Prime yet, Chris. You have to remember. It's 2009. True. This is like, this episode doesn't have story. It just has plot. He's got to like do the thing to do the thing to do the thing. It's like, I I briefly complained about Rise of Skywalker last week, but it's like the first like half of Rise of Skywalker where it's just like, we got to get this thing. boxes. Yeah, yeah, we got to get this thing to get this thing to get this thing. It's like, we got to get these documents, but we got to get a special drill to get the documents. And, like, we've got to get C-3PO to tell us how to use the drill. Even though I'm kind of mad at this episode of Burn Notice, I do, what I do really appreciate about a show like this is that it's so good at telling a story in an episode. Like, it understands the structure and beats of telling a story in an episode and it a seems beginning like, middle and end to a story yeah exactly a beginning middle and end story like that doesn't and it seems kind of like we lost that thing a bit like it seems like there was a prime time of like 
the mid nineties to like mid two thousands, like where we were really good at genre shows that like had arcs, but also were able to tell individual episodes stories really well. Like, like, like your Buffy's and your X-Files and like your Star Trek shows and stuff like that. Whereas now, like they seem like less tight when they're trying to do things like that. And I think the Witcher and the Mandalorian are both trying to do that with their kind of standalone episodes and it just doesn't land as well. And so, yeah, I, 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 I agree. And so this is a thing that like, I actually really appreciate about burn notice generally. Actually, despite all, <laughs> all, you know, things to the contrary, sometimes I can like burn notice. Yes. Um, all right, let's get back into it. <laughs> These last two, this this week and last week's episodes of this podcast that we do together have been like very disinterested in actually talking about burn notice. Yeah, more so than usual. I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's because it's been so long since we've. I think it's because it's been episodes. so long. <sighs> We're just not we've in the swing all... of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I can't wait for next week because, as you guys know, it's bad breaks, and I'm so excited. God, all right. I will I, I will only talk about Burn Notice and Poldark next week. Yes, that will be a two-hour episode. <laughs> anyway, so they need to get a special drill to open up this crime cabinet. But that's going to take a couple of days. And so... Right, because no Amazon Prime. Yeah. So Melanie meets up with Michael and Fee to tell them that Chandler is super paranoid. And they're just... And why are you guys just sitting around waiting for a drill? And then Michael tells her, it's fine. Just lay low and pretend that nothing's happening. Just go about your business and then and lay low. And then she leaves and without even once commenting on Michael and Fee's sexual chemistry, which I think is weird. Because that's what everyone else is doing. <laughs> well, it's because that's what everyone else is doing, Chris. Yeah. So it's, and it's then called Re- a sign. Even someone who doesn't know them knows yep. them. But Melanie, Melanie apparently does not. And then Seymour calls, and then we get a little bit of sob product placement, where he's like, he's like, "Hey, get the sob. We're gonna go like get. We're gonna go find the bomber guy." And then the next shot is just like close up on the sob logo. As we pan up on the sob, like, it's a beautiful woman. Like, I've never seen male gaze, like, on a car before. <laughs> he's found the bomb. He's found the bomber. And he brings Michael and Fee to the bomber's house. The bomber and his girlfriend's, like, fuck palace. It's a, and of course, I would say it's a fuck cottage. It's a fuck cottage. That's fair. You're right. It's their fuck cottage. It's their, their fuck cabin. Where their chemistry is explosive. I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> you haven't actually said that to me yet in this recording session. Aw, babe. <laughs> oh my god. But of course it's all rigged to blow because he's a bomber and like he's like his buildings are rigged to blow up. And so like, Michael 
leaves the car to do some scouting and figure out the best way to get into this, like, fuck cottage. And Seymour takes an opportunity uh, to ask Fee about her and Michael. And then and Fee says, they're in different places. And Seymour says that Fee and Michael are destiny. And he knows this because he is a practitioner of Tai Chi. <laughs> I, so you know how like uh, our new thing is that we're going to try to find antagonists in Burn Notice that should be Lucy Lawless? I think another thing that we should be doing is tracking when I wish Seymour was there, which is always. And so here's an interesting thing. So you know, remember Barry, the guy who was in like a bunch of episodes at the beginning of this season and the end of last season for no reason other than they needed Barry in them? Uh, yeah. Probably for like an actor contract thing. I feel like Seymour is an obvious like replacement for Barry that despite Barry being fine, I wish they would have committed to because Barry eventually comes back, I think, and is like a character again. But I like Seymour because Seymour adds like some necessary goofiness to a show that frequently plays things super straight. And Mm -hmm. I am a little bit bummed that he's not more of a recurring character. I agree. Fee seems unimpressed with his Tai Chi though. And that's how the scene ends. (laughs) Uh, Melanie calls Michael and explains that instead of laying low er, and just having any chill at all, she is broken into Chandler's office and is going through his files. Uh, The reason is because she saw that his secretary was shredding stuff, but then the secretary decided, I'm done shredding for the weekend and left all the papers that she was supposed to be shredding just next to the shredder and left. Yeah. Not suspicious at all. It's not suspicious at all. But if it ended up being fine, I really applaud that woman's dedication to like boundaries of when her work starts and ends. She's like, I don't get paid enough to stay after hours. Like I'm a salaried fucking position. There's no overtime here. If it's five o'clock and I haven't finished shredding, well, that fucking shredding's not getting done until Monday morning, baby. Boundaries are important. Anyways. Boundaries are important. I very much agree with that even though they seem to not exist in our relationship. (laughs) They're important unless your podcast thrives on conflict, Chris. We've discussed this. We didn't always have a podcast. But didn't we? We always acted like we were on a podcast. (laughs) What if we always did have... It's like, didn't we? And then like, we did like, we flash back and realize we always did have a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> There's There was a microphone there the whole time. But yeah, so Michael immediate, immediately realizes, no, this is a trap. This is a, like, this is a really dumb trap, but it's a trap because Chandler is an idiot. And like, you like came in on a weekend and used your own like employee code. So he yeah, she's definitely- She's a very bad spy. She's incredibly bad at being a spy. And sure enough- Chandler is, like, pulling into the parking lot right now. And, like, it's kind of shot through the window, so I guess you can see it. But, like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that the parking lot is empty. And, like, he kind of parks in the middle of the parking lot. There's something really not intimidating about it. (laughs) Like, he, like, pulls up and parks very far away from the camera. (laughs) And so he just seems small and lame. And then he walks through an empty parking lot like an idiot. So Michael gives Melanie some instructions on how to mock up what will eventually look like a bomb with some wires and a box and a cell phone. 
And then Michael Which Cole, I will admit is like very good quick thinking. Like, all right, so you yeah. fucked up. Here's how to solve it. Yeah. Um, and he and then Michael calls Chandler and then tries to convince Chandler that there's no way that the spy would be stupid enough to actually be in the office. Like, if someone was actually in there, they would have to be an idiot. And then Michael go on to, goes on to explain that the spy tried to kill him and that, like, the spy is trying to kill all of them. <laughs> and then in this moment, he finally gets Chandler to admit that it's about the painting. And then also to drive the point home, Fee blows up Chandler's car. Yeah, and like, and Michael shows Chandler the fake bomb. It's like, see that? That's bomb. It's bomb right there. That's definitely a bomb. Don't look at it any closer. It might blow up. It's a bomb. Meanwhile, uh, Sam is Chuck Finley, meets up with Jacob Orr, the assassin, and tells, tells him that Chandler is double-crossing him and that sent Chuck Finley to kill him. But Chuck Finley is deciding that Orr should double-cross Chandler for more money. <laughs> at which point... And then so Chandler and Michael arrive at Chandler's house, and Chandler, like, shows him the painting that he is hidden behind another painting. <laughs> Brilliant. Like, behind the painting that is hiding, that is hanging in his living room is another smaller painting. Which is very good. And once Michael sees the painting, Michael immediately outs himself as the spy. Well, doesn't he do it in like a, man, wouldn't it be bad if the spy was here right now? And Michael was like, he is. Or something yeah. equally stupid. He says, this is what he says. He outs himself as the spy. And then he says, that's the thing about spies. You never know who they are. <laughs> Which is an amazing line of dialogue. It truly is. Can I, it also, I will say, not to harp on Rise of Skywalker too much, and minor spoilers <laughs> if you've seen Rise of, if you have not seen Rise of Skywalker, it does have Good. the same energy as Donald Gleason as Hux going, I'm the spy. <laughs> exact same energy. A plot point that literally does nothing, means nothing, goes nowhere. No. God, is that a terrible movie? Okay, what happens? What happens next, Chris? I'm getting lost in all these weeds. <laughs> so Michael leaves with the painting. I guess, or does he leave with the painting, or is the painting still there? I forget exactly. I don't actually know what happens with the painting. We we Doesn't see the matter. painting briefly from afar in a wide shot, and then never again. Exactly, but Michael leaves, and then Jacob Orr shows up, and then kills Chandler. So once yep. again, Michael has arranged the death of another human being. <laughs> and we actually get to, like, hear him die because, like, the cam it's like we hear the altercation and then the camera pans out from, like, the exterior of the house and then we hear a shot go off. And it's, like, kind of haunting. It is. Which makes sense because this, this director is the writer of spooky stuff. See, we're bringing it back around. I'm desperately trying to pull all these strings together, Chris. Yeah. Then we get to the next scene, and it's fine. Uh, Melanie pays Michael for organizing the death of her boss. Because remember, um, Michael needed money at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Like, he has to take the money this time. She's he like, oh, yeah, he... I'm like an heiress. It's fine. Yeah, yeah like, I inherited money. It's fine. <laughs> um, My dad was a very famous painter. And so she pays it. And, like, Michael 
does try to not take the money. Even though he explicitly needed money. But like she's like, no, it's fine. I have a lot of money. And then she also gives him what is supposed to be one of her father's paintings. But looks like a butterfly tattoo on a piece of poster board. It looks like it looks like if you go to a tattoo parlor, it's up on the wall and you go, that one. I want that on my lower back. I was going to say it looks like something she made in middle school art class. It does. Like, and I'm thinking about it now. It's probably because, like, like, someone had to make this. Like, it's very clear, like, someone made, like, all the other paintings, like, they just bought some paintings. But, like, someone made this. Yeah, well, and so, like, earlier on, like, in, like, an offhand comment, it's revealed that her dad was, like, a pop art artist kind of, like, thing. And so it's not supposed to be, like, you know, a beautiful figure drawing. But even for, like, the, the genre of pop art, it seemed like a weird choice. Yeah, Also, why bad. would she give away her favorite piece of art from her dead father? Because... Michael killed the guy who killed her father. That's worth something. They are bonded by blood. And she has the most important thing that she could get from her father already, which is money. (laughs) Anyway. So, um, Fee and Michael use some special, like, water-filled shotgun shells to, like, safely get into the bomber's house. Because we're back with the bomber now. And kidnap the bomber. And then M- Michael interrogates the bomber. But also Seymour and his dumbass security guy are there. <laughs> his dumbass bodyguard are also there. Has he ever been identified by name? What is his name? I don't I, we, know We wanted to has. name him Todd. Like, because there's a character named Todd in the episode after this guy is introduced who we were like, he shouldn't be Todd. That other guy should be Todd. But I don't think he actually has a name. Can we call him Todd? Todd is definitely a business school name. Yes. I will give give you that. that. (laughs) We will give it to each other. Because it's important to give in a relationship. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so Seymour and not Todd are there too. And, like, Seymour has, like, a blowtorch. And he just really wants to torture the guy with the blowtorch. Because, like, he just wants to be a badass. <laughs> and, like, and the bomber explains that he doesn't really know the guy. He doesn't have a lot of info. Like, but he does have, like, a bank account in the Caymans where, like, the guy who paid him was going to give him his money. And so Michael asks for the account number for this, like, bank account. And then, like, to give Seymour something to do, like, tell Seymour to write it down. And then, like, Seymour tells his bodyguard to write it down because he's, like, above that. Because, like, he doesn't have a pen or, or, like, and, and, like, I guess the bodyguard has, like, a pen and paper. And so it's this weird round robin of, like, like the bomber saying things to Seymour and Seymour saying them to Todd <laughs> to not Todd and then to, and then, to not Todd and then Todd is taking a while to write it down and so then they have to. And wait. He's just like, hold on a second, like wait, hold on. It's so goofy. <laughs> I love Seymour. I want Seymour and not Todd to be in every episode. 
Add him to the so, ensemble, cowards. Exactly. And then after that, after that scene, like, like they go outside and Seymour gives Michael and Fee matching throwing daggers with like a symbol that means destiny engraved on them. A sy- and and Seymour also has one for himself. And it is, as he says, a symbol of their bond. I love it. <laughs> and then he leaves. And then Michael tells Fee that he did get her breakfast that morning, which we knew. But like, like he got her breakfast that morning only to find her gone. And then she says that she'll have to stay next time. And that's how the episode ends. And that has been The Weeds. Really weedy this time. A lot of these tips are bad. Uh, Okay, here's, but here's one that's okay. There's a lot of advantages to taking on a new identity when you take a new job. You can tailor your resume to the position and it gives you a lot of flexibility. You just have to get used to the idea of lying to everyone you meet. That's Do you nothing. think that's a thing? No, that's nothing. Like, it's like, hey, lie in your resume. Yeah, okay, you're, you're right. You have to keep lying. <laughs> like, there's a McElroy Brothers t- television episode about this. That is true. That, that, that makes it unacceptable as a spy that to you can't burn be, notice. You can't. Yeah, you can't do a thing that is a spy thing and also a McElroy Brothers thing. <laughs> the Venn diagram between like spy things and McElroy Brothers things are two circles. It's non-existent. Yeah. Um Yeah, no, the tips in this one are bad. Um All right, here we go. A bug in its simplest form is just a microphone attached to a radio, effective but easy to detect with a frequency scanner. A more subtle device is the wireless keylogger cir- circuit. Nearly undetectable and easy to install, it transmits every password you type into the keyboard. All surveillance devices, though, share a weakness. They're machines. When machines break, someone has to fix them. More spies get caught changing batteries and fixing wires than in any other single activity. And that's two tips. The but second I think they're one both is the good, good one. No, I don't no, think I the first one is. The first one is, hey, bugs are a thing, and this is the definition of a keylogger. The I mean, second I think, like, thing the... is actually useful. I will give you I mean, this tip, but I only think that the the lack the back half of it is useful. I mean, it's just a shopping list thing. We gave last a lot of shopping list things last week. I guess. I don't know. It's it's on thin ice. Yeah. But I will okay, allow well, what, it. what about this one? To make a magnet powerful enough to wipe a security camera tape, you need a strong power supply. A wall outlet will do wisely. A wall outlet will do nicely if there's one available, but if you need something more portable, a car battery works in a pinch. Of course, you have to be careful to use heavy gauge wire if you don't want a fiery explosion that covers you in battery acid. But do it right, and you've got a magnet powerful enough to wipe any magnetic media you can get close to. Yeah, that's fine. I just realized I didn't bring up a thing that I wanted to bring up during the... um magnet scene and like the preceding scene or the the following scenes which is that after he wipes it with a giant magnet he wipes the security footage 
um, in like the next couple of scenes, the guy has sent it out to be reconstructed. But what we see is just like television static. How the fuck are they reconstructing the hard drive after it has well, been literally wiped by a mag? Is that actually possible? Because I feel like that's a bullshit thing. It's like I when people think... in CSI shows are like, uh, you know, make that image sharper in Photoshop. And like they make a low resolution image sharper, even though that's not how that works. I've heard of things like that. I think it's From other possible. television shows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you make a good point, Castellini. That's what I'm here for. Um... But I, there are things that you can do. Like, you can't definitely get all information back. Well, there's corrupt, like, there's, like, reconstructing, like, a corrupted hard drive. But, like, this isn't corrupted. This was wiped. I mean. Also, also a major plot point in Knives Out revolves around wiping a security foot, wiping security footage with a magnet. A much less powerful magnet, I will uh, point out. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You... I will say that you're right because you invoked Knives Out. <laughs> I thought that would get you. Uh, but this spy tip is fine, so we can move on. Yeah. All right. This one's iffy, but I'm going to put it up anyway. When you're playing the role of spy hunter and the person you're hunting is yourself, the trail of evidence can lead anywhere you say it does. And no one can create more fear, more paranoia than the spy hunter. So this tip is sort of bad, but, like, the idea of becoming a spy hunter of yourself is interesting, and I think you could apply it usefully in your own spy stuff. Like, yeah. one way to, like, cast suspicion off of yourself is to be the one hunting for yourself. Yeah. I think this next one is also maybe okay. It ends in a stupid way, but it's okay. It's a sh another shopping list one. Once an operative has a guy on the hook, she needs backup to make sure things don't go too far. The proper sedative for cocktail hours ensures an early evening. Chloral hydrate is a mild but effective choice. It'll do the trick, but only if the target's interested in drinking it. If he's not, then you have to induce unconsciousness some other way. Now, putting aside the obvious fact that like sedatives are useless if people don't take them, is that something? Yeah, no, that's something. It fulfills all, all right. the classic tenets of a shopping list perk or a shopping list uh, tip. Yeah. When you're a spy, you spend a lot of time looking for people's hiding places. It's always good to start by searching where your target has the easiest access. Of course, smart targets don't always hide things where don't always hide things where they have the easiest access. After that, the search search gets a little more subtle. You look for signs of moved furniture, marks on the carpet, scuffs on the walls, anything out of place. I feel like yep. that was almost nothing, but by the end it became a thing. Yes, I agree. The, okay. Favored by bomb squads, disruptor shells are a specially designed shotgun round filled with water. The blast can blow an explosive device apart without igniting it. The shells are only lethal up to about six feet. At 10 feet, they just hurt a lot. Yeah. Useful. Yeah. That's useful. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's And that's six. it. And that just barely, that makes it. I almost thought that it wouldn't. 
because a lot of these spy tips sucked. And even the ones that we have, a lot of them are kind of iffy. And the other ones are just like shopping lists, which yeah. like we we allow shopping lists, but like usually they're buffeted by like more like action driven tips rather than like, so this is what you want to buy at the surplus store in order to have your good spy mission. Yeah. Have we been calling them shopping lists before now? Because it's a good phrase. Uh, we we have we uh, you you explicitly like when we first started doing the podcast we're like I really like a spy tip that's like a shopping list and then I think okay, we kind of shortened it from there so you cool. coined that I like oh, that you that. like your own coined term <laughs> yeah that it's sounds like, like quoting me. your own show which yeah. all of us do all the time not right now though no all right so we've got enough um, spy tips. Um, did we do spycraft over violence? We certainly said the word spy more times than I think any other episode of Burn Notice is done. <laughs> Which is a show about a spy. So that's saying a lot. Uh, yeah, I think it was spycraft because it was like the, the fact that he was spy hunting himself is like a very fun sort of like spy thing. Yeah. Spy. Um, spy. In disguise. Uh, was as a spy was this alias... Spy. Was Miles Parker anything? <laughs> I mean, so he, I kind of think he's not because there wasn't a discernible like performance difference. Cause like we talked about Johnny last week as like not necessarily having a voice that was different from Michael's, but definitely having like a presence and performance that was different. Like there was a different delivery. I feel like, Johnny Cash or Miles Johnson or whatever the hell his fucking name is. I don't think he was that interesting. I think he was just Michael no. Weston with a different name. He was slightly more like obnoxious Michael Weston, but he was Michael Weston. But only slightly. And he just like exactly. wore a suit, a dark suit that was like two sizes bigger than Michael usually wears his suits. Yeah. Like the only reason, like, I mean, there was all those bits where he did basically tell him that he was a spy. And that was kind of nice. But, that, but this is what I'm saying is he's just Michael. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, no, I agree. Is it's it a distinct not. alias? I don't think he is. I think we need no. to be harder on him. Exactly. I agree. Um, so fuck that. Are Fee and Sam used well? So Fee gets to blow things up. She gets to blow up a car. Um, and... I think one other thing. So that counts as Fee getting used well. I mean, yes. But the thing is that, like, Fee blows up stuff a lot. I know. But she like, doesn't blow up stuff every episode, though. And we've definitely had episodes where she's not used well. But if Fee... Like, we explicitly state in our intro episode, which we tell you to listen to for the rules of this section, um, like, Fee gets to blow something up. is That's like true. An iconic part of her character being used well. The same way that Bruce Campbell getting to be peak Bruce Campbell means Sam is being used well. So yeah. that alone allows her to be used well. And That's fair. She, I kind of don't like any of the scenes with either of them. Yeah, they even I have mean, a well, scene together. That was a good scene, though. Like, her beating the shit out of a guy and Sam trying yeah, to get into the room. Yeah, I guess. I will say... In season one, I would have been like, yeah, that was a great scene. <laughs> but now you know better because it's they've yeah. raised the bar. Exactly. And I, I agree wonder... with you, but I think that it was there was just enough. Chuck Finley was in this episode, right? 
Yes, that's right. Yeah. He did say, so, yeah, so yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. See, like, I agree with you that it's on the line. Uh, and, like, we're starting to get to the point in this show where just exploding and just having Chuck Finley isn't enough. But there was that and one good scene, and I am willing to allow it. Okay. So this is still a great episode of Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. It is. It is a great All episode right. of Burn Notice. It's not one of the better episodes of Burn Notice. No. But it's a great episode of Burn Notice. Oh, were there any yogurts in this episode? I didn't see any. I didn't see any yogurts either. How um, fu- Oh, I almost want to yeah. take away its great Burn Notice episode as a result of that. But science is, doesn't have opinions. Science doesn't have opinions? You're right. You're yeah, right. Science, science doesn't care about Thank your feelings. This is a great episode of Thank- Burn Notice. End of story. Thank you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> was this a great episode of television I don't think so because the case of the week was too convoluted it was really convoluted and it did feel and like not like even the case just... of the week just like the setup for it was so convoluted I was like but even then I... it was like again I keep going back to like well, we found the crime cabinet, but we need a drill for the crime cabinet. And we gotta like yeah, yeah. do. We gotta like. I gotta like look at the feeds. It's like so much like. There's like obstacles. Like there's like plot, but it's just so much like. Busy work. They do so yeah. much busy work in this episode. For a show, for an episode with Seymour, who I love, it was a weirdly like. Heartless episode. Like there wasn't a lot of heart in it. No. Like last week, there was too much heart, but and I, so but I had heart. a lot more fun watching last week's episode. Last week had week. a heart on. Yeah, definitely. This this episode felt soulless, you know. Yes. Like it was just going through the motions, because like there was an alias with a name and a background, and we didn't give it the point for a distinct alias. That exactly. should tell you a lot. Yeah. So no, just an episode of television, but a great so episode of Burnout. <laughs> That's the second week in a row where it's been uh actually no that's the that's the fourth week in a row that it has been an episode of television that is a great episode of Burn Notice. So for 4 mm-hmm. weeks that's all we've had. And like again to to acknowledge something that Reddit would rather us acknowledge more often, we're definitely having a lot more fun watching these episodes of television that aren't quite great episodes of television than we were in season 1. But like yeah. We know it can do better. There have been a whole three episodes of this season that we've considered great episodes of television. But I know that our streak's going to end because next week is Bad Breaks. I can't, I really hope that when we watch Bad Breaks next week, I don't think, I don't like, because I'm hosting that episode, which is always bad news. Because anytime you host an episode, as we've talked about before, like, because you have to constantly pause it and like write stuff down and like make your observations as you're taking notes, like it definitely makes episodes less fun. Because you're, like, critiquing them as you're watching. And I'm so scared that I'm not going to like Bad Breaks as much because of that process. I'm, like, so scared that, that the Burn Noticed podcast is going to, like, the the machine of the Burn Noticed podcast is going to ruin Bad Breaks for me. And I don't want that to happen because I really do, like, adore that and it's Because it's the reason for the podcast, basically. No, it's not. The reason for the podcast is that fucking uh, insane screenshot that i took that is our podcast art that's That's the moment that i knew i had to talk that i had something to say but bad breaks is 
of what I've watched of Burn Notice so far, my favorite episode of Burn Notice. So yeah. All right. Well, that's that's a cliffhanger. This, <laughs> this episode is ending on a cliffhanger. With that, all that's left is to say thank you to Vincent El for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Do you remember what my bit at the beginning of this episode was? Was it about Poldark? Because I feel like I need like a reflection of that here, but I've forgotten entirely what I did an hour and a half ago. So this is all you get. 